A word of warning. What follows includes harrowing testimony and graphic descriptions of human rights violations. The Truth Commission wrapped up its symbolic round of public hearings into gross human rights abuses in Durban on the 10th of May 1996. Evidence heard at the Jewish Club provided some insight into the violence that was still ravaging KwaZulu-Natal long after South Africa's first democratic elections had brought peace to most of the country. Many ANC members and supporters blamed the Encarta Freedom Party in absentia for abuses they had suffered. A glaring gap was that the experiences of IFP members went untold. In the same week that South Africa's democratic constitution was adopted, and in the same week that the National Party walked out of the government of national unity. Kenneth Mucketeers and Darren Taylor bring to mind what happened in Durban. A simple hymn in honour of the estimated 15,000 people killed in KwaZulu-Natal's political violence since 1980. A simple hymn for the estimated 1 million people turned into refugees in their own village, town and province. As their homes raised to the ground and burned to ash, they flee in fear into the darkness. The only thing he said was, if you don't want your houses to be bent, leave all the things that you are doing. Listen to what the Inkata leaders are saying. Forget about what you are doing because that's nonsense. We went to Mochari, where we found that his body was bent. Veli Sibankulu. It was only the head that had remained in the upper body up until the beginning of the lower legs. That was the body we found. The eyes had bursted. He didn't have arms. He also didn't have the lower limbs. Everyone anticipates that the Truth Commission hearing in Durban will be different. The security branch's torturous reign has ended in the Eastern Cape. Forced removals are no longer the order of the day in the Western Cape. And the streets of Gauteng are long silent from exploding bombs. But carnage and political killings still plague KwaZulu-Natal. We do want to express our deepest sympathies to those who are suffering as a result of the ongoing violence in this province and express our distress that violence should seem to be endemic in these parts. We hope that the work of the Commission may make some kind of contribution to the ending of violence and to the promotion of reconciliation in these parts.
KwaZulu Natal is where the state-sponsored third force becomes recognizable. With its face of deceit, it is called by many names, such as the Amaboto. And one of the Amabutos, the warriors, said, let me see who's got an axe. And I heard they were chopping down our doors and they got inside. Mama Pungula. I don't know when Kumbulani died. Because at that stage I was hiding. I didn't hide under the bed because I realized that if I hide under the bed, they'll kill me cruelly. So they better kill me standing. So I stood behind the door and I was hiding and they got inside. They chopped him. They chopped him in his face. And on his chest, they opened up his chest with an axe. But the third force, comprising policemen and vigilantes, doesn't only plunder the lush hills and valleys of KwaZulu-Natal. It also stalks the dry Free State felt in search of its prey. Here, it's known as the A-Team. I was bleeding. When I fell down, this knife was still in my body, and when I fell, it went deeper. I don't know who rescued me, but when I woke up, I saw pipes. While I was breathing, the blood would come out of my body into a bottle. I only heard that there was an organization called A-Team. They were people against us, I mean the UDFs. They used to drive in the township in their cars. They started this organization working together with the police. Because when the police were together with the A-team, they would put them at the forefront so that they kill, and the police would never appear in court. Members of the apartheid security forces are richly rewarded for orchestrating what is deliberately and conveniently labelled black-on-black violence. Images of barbarians slaughtering one another are beamed across the world to prove that the apartheid government is not persecuting activists. And in all of this, the IFP plays a major role. It was quarter to five. I was still asleep because we couldn't sleep at night. We used to sleep during the day at night to be on guard against Inkata. We used to alternate guarding and, and would put off the light and just would keep on opening the curtains lightly and check if Ngata wasn't coming. I cried a lot because it was the first time I saw my child taking a knife and stabbing somebody. I cried because this violence taught our children to kill because Ngata was attacking us. Halfway through the Durban hearing, the IFP does a vault farce. First, it brands the Truth Commission an ANC witch hunt, forcing its members and supporters to stay away. And we said that the IFP as IFP decided that we're not going to participate in the, in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. 
because from the very word go, we suspected that what is happening now was going to happen. Mangusutu Butelezi. Because clearly some of the actions of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, as we see them, are acts where the ruling party, we think, is targeting their opposition, their opponents, by using the Truth and Reconciliation Commission as apparatus to conduct witch hunting. When the accusations begin to pile up, the IFP finally indicates a willingness to cooperate with the Commission. Ziba Gianni. To the charge that we have discouraged people, nothing could be further from the truth. The most historic landmarks coinciding with the Durban hearing are the adoption of South Africa's first democratic constitution and the National Party's decision to walk out of the fragile government of national unity. The constitution has been accepted by an overwhelming majority in parliament, nearly unanimous, only two votes against, which is a wonderful thing. Uh, and I, I think those over there deserve a clap again. I mean, yeah. It's during these significant political developments that apolitical victims share their immense suffering with the Truth Commission, the country and the world. Like those who lost loved ones at Magoo's Bar in Durban in 1986 when former convicted ANC member Robert McBride planted this lethal bomb. Just because we happen to have white skins doesn't mean that we agreed with apartheid and all the horrors and, and terrible things that went with it. Sharon Valhamut. Mr. McBride cannot justify his position in the government of national unity as he's a cold-blooded murderer who can never wipe away the pain, sorrow and anguish and destruction he caused. We want Mr. McBride removed from public office. The thought that we are contributing to his upkeep is, is inconceivable. And in our opinion, if, if he's been indemnified, then why should the government even try to prosecute other people? for any other horrendous crimes, because surely the same principle should apply for everybody. But explosions, motivated by hatred and defiance of apartheid, don't discriminate against victims. Anti-apartheid activist Gary Govan-Sammy lost his brother and sister-in-law in the 1984 bombing of Durban's Esplanade. The perpetrators were not blowing up pylons, they were not blowing up bridges, they were not blowing up government offices, they're not blowing up the army barracks. Innocent people were being killed. And I know for a fact that in a struggle like this, innocent people get caught in the crossfire. It was unfortunate that my brother, who supported a struggle for liberation in a peaceful means, got killed. He believed in a free and just society for all South Africans, a society where everyone, black and white, could live in harmony. Since the 15th of April 1996, South Africans have gained a terrifying insight into their past. Many didn't know the extent of the atrocities, and a lot chose to ignore what was happening around them. But the Truth Commission's greatest victory so far is the voice it has given to the voiceless. I think at the time when her father died, when she was five years old, she used to come to me, are you missing dead? And, and I would also say, yes, I'm missing dead. But one day, what was very sad to me, she said, but why don't they come and shoot us so that we can be with him in heaven? 
she said the same people who killed the father must come and shoot her as well so that she can be with the father in heaven. She was very much fond of the father. Anything she wanted, the father would run around and get it. When the father had gone, she wrote a letter. She put it at the office. She said, Dear Father Christmas, could you send me all the nice teddy bears because my father would buy these things for me no more. I went and bought the teddy bear and I wrapped and folded nice. I said, here's the teddy bear from Father Christmas for you. Many questions remain. Who should get amnesty for all these killings, tortures and bombings? What sort of reparations should be given to all these victims and survivors? And is it only the rough, big men in their blue suits with guns on their hips who are guilty? We have been shocked and filled with revulsion to hear of the depths to which we are able to sink in our inhumanity to one another. Our capacity for the sadistic enjoyment of the suffering we have inflicted on one another. The refinement of cruelty in keeping families guessing about the fate and whereabouts of their loved ones, sending them carelessly on a run around from police station to police station to hospital and mortuary in a horrendous wild goose chase. That is one side, the ghastly and somber side of the picture that is emerging thus far. But there is another side, a more noble and inspiring one. We have been deeply touched and moved by the resilience of the human spirit. People who by rights should have had the stuffing knocked out of them, refusing to buckle under intense suffering and brutality and intimidation. People refusing to give up on the hope of freedom, knowing they were made for something better than the dehumanizing awfulness of injustice, oppression, refusing to be intimidated to lower their sights. It's quite incredible the capacity people have shown to be magnanimous refusing to be consumed by bitterness and hatred, willing to meet with those who have violated their persons and their rights, willing to meet in a spirit of forgiveness and reconciliation, eager only to know the truth, to know the perpetrator, so that they could forgive them. We have been moved to tears, we have laughed, we have been silent, and we have stared at the beast of our dark past in the eye and we have survived the ordeal and we are realizing that we can indeed transcend the conflicts of the past. We can hold hands as we realize our common humanity. The generosity of spirit will be full to overflowing when it meets a like generosity. Forgiveness will follow confession and healing will happen and so contribute to national unity and reconciliation.